When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, Let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, What is your name? Jacob, he answered. Then the man said, Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, Please tell me your name. But he replied, Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, It is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Father, send us your Spirit and teach us your truth. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There were certain things I was taught you should never ask anybody, Um, amongst which was how much do you earn? My experience in life has been that this was very good advice. Um, There are other things which I've noticed never get talked about, even though we've not necessarily been taught deliberately not to talk about them. But maybe you do. The thing that I'm thinking about this morning in church is how is your prayer life? I think it's very easy for us in church to um, assume, certainly maybe from my point of view standing at the front, um, to assume that you all have an active and vibrant prayer life, or to talk about prayer as if it's something which is regular and normal and natural. Um, And that may be the case for you. But I'm just reflecting this morning that it might also may not be the case for you. And I think it's very possible that um, sermon after sermon after sermon, or church service after church service after church service, may make comments about prayer and the way in which you pray, all based on a certain assumption, which is that you know how to pray and that you do it regularly and that you're comfortable with that. And it might just be the case that you sit through that always, kind of it with it washing over your head, or maybe just making you feel very uncomfortable, thinking, I'm not actually quite sure what he means or what he's talking about. So this morning I want to talk about struggling in prayer. Um, but my preface to it is, and this might kind of trump everything else, 
which is that actually if you're not someone who prays or if you're not sure how to pray or if you do get confused by things that are ever said about prayer then um, feel free to tell me afterwards and we can we can talk about that I don't want to make any wrong assumptions this morning um, and I'd be very happy to have a completely frank conversation uh, in any way that's going to help you about that um, so there we go, so that's the first offer for this morning. That I'm not making any assumptions and I'm quite open to the idea that prayer may be difficult for you or just even non-existent. Um, the reason why I'm saying that is that we have a very strange story that's uh, before us about uh, Jacob wrestling and um, there are lots of ways in which we could approach this story. Um, and it's very unclear what its origin is or what it's really getting at. And as I said before with these stories of Genesis, they were very ancient and strange stories, even at the time that they were first produced, let alone many centuries later when we come to them. But I want to read this story this morning as a parable, um, as um, an indication of what it may be like to pray. So we have this story of this character, Jacob, and there's, there's quite a lot, a lot of background. We've only taken a very small excerpt of his life, and the background is important. So just a quick recap. Um, Jacob is born as one of a pair of twins, as the second twin, and he is grasping his brother's heel as he emerges from the womb, uh, which is where his name comes from. And his name, Jacob, is derived from a word which can mean either to um, grasp the heel or can also mean to deceive or to supplant. Uh, and that, that the, those meanings come together and are illustrated really within his, the story of his life because he is the second-born son. His older brother is called Esau, so Esau should be the one who receives the inheritance and the blessing. Um, and Jacob supplants him. Earlier in the story, Jacob has already kind of tricked his brother, or partly tricked him and partly bargained with him, in order to be the one who receives the inheritance and the blessing of his father. Um, he's then gone away and lived for decades away somewhere else during which time he has taken wives and married and he's now returning to meet his brother Esau for the first time in however many years, 15 or more years, since he kind of supplanted him. Um, and he's returning with his entourage of household, wives, children, animals and so on. Um, and much of what he has achieved, much of what he has gained in the time that he's been away, he has gained through cunning or trickery, depending on how you view it. Um, but he has also been a victim of trickery as well, which is why he's got two wives rather than one. That might be a reminder for you, or if that all sounds very odd, then just read the preceding chapters of Genesis and you'll see what's going on. And we, this short episode begins with him reaching a ford of a river and sending everyone else across the river ahead of him, and he is left alone. 
And then this strange figure comes and meets him and wrestles with him and all through the night until daybreak. So let's take this as an idea of a picture of someone wrestling with God in prayer. Because we eventually discover that this strange figure is, uh, is an angel who represents God, who represents God's presence. Um, Jacob wants a blessing. The reason why he's wrestling is because he wants a blessing. And the crucial moment comes when the angel says to him, what is your name? And he has to declare what his name is. My name is Jacob. Now he's already made himself vulnerable. He was in that vulnerable position because he's had stripped away from him all his other surroundings, all his other circumstances. You know, the family, the possessions, they've all gone ahead. So in that moment where he's left behind, where he's alone, as it were, in prayer, he is stripped away of all those other relationships, all those other belongings that he might sort of surround himself with normally. So he's no longer the husband of two wives. He's no longer the father of many children. He's no longer the brother of Esau. He's no longer the son-in-law of Laban. He's no longer um, the owner of many herds and flocks and camels. It's just him on his own. Who is he before God in that moment, stripped of all those other accoutrements and possessions and relationships? And he is forced to admit who he is. My name is Jacob. And in that moment, in that simple, single recognition, the whole story of his life is encapsulated. I am the one who was born second. I am the one who um, partly tricked and partly bargained with my brother to get the blessing. I am the one who supplanted him. I am the one who fled and has been away from home in a strange land. I am the one who has continued to engage in trickery and be the victim of trickery. And I am the one who is now returning. His whole life story is encapsulated in that moment and he is admitting it and owning to it. He is being completely vulnerable before God in that moment. And in doing so, in, as he does so, he then receives a wounding and a blessing. So the angel, um, this figure who cannot, who's struggling, who's wrestling with him, he cannot prevail and, and he, he sort of, this is a strange account, he touches Jacob on the hip to wound him in order to stop him from wrestling any longer. And then he gives him a blessing. Now Jacob also asks the angel, I, I'd really like to know your name. Who are you? Um, and he doesn't get an answer. Because when we're wrestling with God in prayer, um, there is an inequality, there is an imbalance. We are called to be completely vulnerable and self-identify before God. God does not have to give an account of God to us. God does not have that same level of vulnerability, so to speak, and 
giving an account of who God is. God is who God is. That, like, the name of God, I am who I am, which has already been revealed, sorry, which will be revealed to Moses in the book of Exodus. God is who God is. It's not for us to question that or to know any more about that. But God demands of us that we do give a true and genuine account of who we are. So in, in this story, there's this, if we take it as this parable, the wrestling in prayer, it indicates to us that the very heart of prayer, the very heart of a relationship before God, is coming before God, stripped of all our accoutrements, our hiding places, our, our relationships, our belongings, and being able, being called to admit at the deepest level before God, who we are. This is who I am. This is me this morning. Here I am, God, as being the very essence of prayer. And maybe as we do so, we may receive a wounding and a blessing. What sort of wounding might we receive? I've been trying to reflect on this myself. Things that happen to me sometimes when I pray. Sometimes I end up feeling more confused after I've been praying than I did at the beginning. Um, some of the things I really struggle with in prayer, things I do not understand, I cannot make sense of. Praying about them doesn't always help. Um, being forced to admit who I am and losing my sense of pride about my relationships and my belongings and my status. Sometimes that in itself is a wounding. I, I sort of limp away from prayer, having had to face up to the reality of who I really am, rather than the kind of facades that I hide behind. And of course, sometimes the wounding is a recognition that, that I'm the one who's in the wrong place. I need to change, I need to repent. Being faced before the holiness and the awesomeness of God, prayer, forces me to admit, well, yeah, no, I'm, I've made mistakes, I've gone wrong, my attitude is not pure, and that hurts. But out of all of those things, then, can come a blessing. We might come away from prayer knowing ourselves better than we did before. We might come away from prayer having more compassion for ourselves and our own story than we did before. <coughs> Having named ourselves as vulnerably as we can before God and knowing ourselves accepted and loved by God, even in that place, it might help us to be more accepting of ourselves and of our own stories. We might find that we get some relief from the struggle in that we may no longer feel the need to wrestle and uh, agitate any longer. And we may even receive a new identity. We may be transformed. The outcome of this story is that Jacob received a new name. His name was no longer Jacob, but it became Israel. And Israel simply means he struggles with God. So his whole identity was transformed and his story was renewed. He's no longer defined as the one who supplants and the one who deceives. But he becomes the one who struggles with God, who wrestles with God, 
and in doing so receives a wounding and a blessing. And of course Israel then is the, the, the name that's adopted by all his descendants and the tribe as a whole and continues to be the word which is used to describe the Jewish nation um, as, a, as a people group. And we are the inheritors of that. We have become grafted into Israel. So we too, in some respects, are now identified as the people who struggle, the people who wrestle with God in prayer. Which is why we could reasonably expect this to be our own experience, just as much as it was Jacob's in this story that we've read. Um, some of you may have heard of Sister Wendy Beckett, who is, is a Roman Catholic uh, nun, a sister who's lived much of her life as a hermit and is well known as a writer on prayer, um, as well as being an arts historian, as it happens. And um, I just have a couple of uh, quotations from, from her in her own writings on prayer that relate to this. She has said, the essential act of prayer is to stand unprotected before God. The essential act of prayer is to stand unprotected before God. And then at a more practical level, she suggests this. When you pray, you bring yourself in whatever state you are and offer that to God. There may be very little satisfaction in this. All you may be conscious of are your own feelings, miserable and inadequate. But God does not ask us to pass a test of how beautiful our feelings are. God simply wants us to want to pray. God simply wants us to want to pray. So wherever you are, whatever answer you might offer, if I was foolish enough to ask you, how's your prayer life? Let's be encouraged this morning to know that God is ready and waiting for us always, that there is a simplicity of prayer which is involving simply wanting to pray, wanting to reach out to God. And that the more we can strip away and the more we can honestly say to God, this is who I am right now in this moment. This is my story. This is how I feel. These are my hopes and my desires and these are my fears and my anxieties. The more God will meet us. It may involve a wrestling, a struggling. And through that there may be a sense of a wounding. But there will always be a blessing. Let's pray. God of grace who met Jacob and wrestled with him and asked his name and blessed him. We ask that you will meet with us whenever we seek to reach out to you.
we ask that you will teach us and encourage us to pray, to talk to you, and to stand unprotected before you. Give us grace to struggle well with you. Not to fight shy of a wounding, but to rejoice in the blessing. And we ask this in the name of our Saviour, Jesus Christ, who in the garden wrestled in prayer with you until the sweat was like drops of blood. May we follow in his footsteps. Amen.